The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride here on the uh, Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Certainly glad to uh, have you along. And, Lou, it's a beautiful day. The weather has been nice. And uh, we were chatting before we uh, began this episode of the Car Guys Report. We've each got a few things to chat about before we get into the meat of the program but sometimes the chit chat is is the fun part right oh, yeah. um you just came back for you you're you're emblazoned in a in a brand new uh sports shirt there the carlisle nationals where you were the last uh, few days tell us a little bit about what your adventures were there yeah it was the ford nationals and um they're kind enough to allow me to come there on thursday and thursday is the driving day for the specialty cars this one was mach one's so we featured Mach 1s and Boss Mustangs. Cool. So those were the two marquee cars. And one of the cars I videoed is uh, apparently there were 11 Boss Mustangs that were what they call the introductory show cars. Hmm. Now, these Boss Mustangs are different than the regular Boss Mustangs because on the back of them, they have the Mach 1 chrome trim rings and they have the Mach 1 chrome trims that go across the back versus an all-black and black, tail yeah. pan of a boss mustang in that time period huh. so to have one of those cars there and then have it all uh put together like that and get the, all the information and show that where it went and this was actually ford's car so sometimes okay. people had personal cars mm-hmm. but this was the one that ford would take to the drag strip show that it what it does in the quarter etc so that was pretty neat to have that one there. cool and this was carlisle it's pennsylvania right yep and is that the name of the town or is that the name of the venue because I, I i've heard about car everyone just talks about carlisle i know it's a huge like a is it a fairgrounds or exactly what is it it's a fairgrounds it is 81 acres of car okay. show wow half of it is swap meet and the other half matter of fact they broke a record of having 3150 fords by noon on saturday and there were more coming in. Cool. So um, one of the other features there was the Bullet Mustang, and they had all the versions there. They had so many Bullet Mustangs there that they actually took up two entire rows, which I think I counted, I think the number was like 40 mm-hmm. Bullet Mustangs there. And that's like when you walk down and go, hey, I thought these were rare. Exactly. <laughs> you yeah. see them all lined up. Well, when, when a show like that, they all come out, right? It was really cool. That's great. Uh, what were some of the other highlights? What uh, were some of the cool cars that you saw? Not necessarily tape. I know you couldn't tape everything, but. No. So I, I ended up, uh, uh, we'll, we'll open Pandora's box. I ended up doing 24 cars. Wow. Which, which is a lot of cars. Yeah, that's that's a, a nine the first day, 11 the next day, and four the last day, including some of the venue opportunities we went to uh, i say we it was my son joey decided to come with me and he's my editor for the my car story youtube channel so it was good to have him with um but the weather was uh uh raining for a short time period on thursday the rest of the days were absolutely perfect good and get uh, the rain out of the way early yeah, so so to answer your question i mean they have them in sections so they have thunderbirds mercuries um i videoed a 1950 mercury monterey convertible mm-hmm. uh was probably at the at the uh, earlier end uh we videoed a 2018 ford gt that was his favorite car mm. there of course and you know the big gullwing doors and stuff it was super cool uh and then most of the stuff that i videoed was probably mid 70s uh or uh, early 70s late 60s uh cars lots uh, i think it was probably eight camaros or excuse me eight uh mustangs and um 
uh, three Cougars is what I was thinking of. So we had lots of great, great choices. And it was 100% Ford for this. There oh, yeah. No other, even in the, in the uh, did they have, they have a swap meet? Did they had a car corral for sale, too? Or, yeah. And could you have any mark in there, or was it just still strictly Ford? Strictly Ford for this show. They wow. have a Ford show. They have a, a, a Chrysler show that I'll be going to in July. They have a G, uh, General Motors show. They have an import show. They have a truck show. They have a Corvettes at Carlisle. So Carlisle's a town. And then it's the Carlisle Event Center mm-hmm. is this big fairground. Isn't it a couple of brothers, I think, that originally started Carlisle or um, still maybe even run it? Well, the Millers run it. Yeah, the and Millers. And the Millers are actually, although they're not, re- I don't believe they're related. There's a um, Bill Miller and a, a Chip Miller and his son, uh, Chip passed away, but his son Lance and then Bill Miller's son also. So those are the three co-owners and uh, they're just wonderful people. They're uh, you know, car people, they're down to earth. They just love getting families together and enjoying this. And they've, they've grown the show tremendously, too. And it's turned into just an enterprise, a business, obviously. But it's successful. It's well run, obviously. Any idea of what the total uh, attendance was? I don't know the attendance. Um, I think they base that on how many cars show up. And uh, a lot of times it's based on car clubs. Mm-hmm. Like for example, one of the car clubs there was the Red Mustang Club. And I'm thinking a red Mustang yeah. club. So, you know, if you have a blue one, you're not in the club. <laughs> you have a white one, sorry, can't make it. Just the red Mustang club. And that club alone, I think they had something like 178 cars wow. there. So, wow. Yeah, it's really That's cool. lots of fun. One of my, you know, I, I'll be honest, I'm not a huge Ford guy. I've yeah. never owned a Ford. I assume at some point I will. Like, you know, I just bought a Corvette, and eventually I think there, there might be a Mustang in my future. And I was going to say that at the beginning, the Mach 1 has always been one of my favorites. I think that's just a cool car. And I love that, that, that the 1970 or 71 style Mach 1 with the long deck hood and then the sloping rear end. 71. Just a cool looking car. Yeah. Very neat. I videoed a uh, black 71, 351 Boss Mustang mm-hmm. with that black slope, and I think it has 19,000 original wow. miles. So stay stay tuned. You'll see that one. And that cool. One's, that one's just wonderful. Cool. Yeah, well, it sounds like you had a, a good time. I went to a couple of uh, a more or less local car shows uh, this past uh, weekend. And, um, you know, every time uh, car guys buy a uh, used car, you have to kind of give it the shakedown. What I try tend to do is I'll get something new like the Corvette, and I'll just – drive it you know several hundred miles in, in, a, in a couple of weeks just to kind of shake it down and see what what may or may not be uh kosher about it and i uh, took the uh, corvette to uh both of the shows over the weekend and i had an il- interesting um uh thing happen on the way back one of them was about 60 miles away and coming back on the expressway the 92 uh, C4 Corvette has a digital uh, gas gauge, which I've never been too crazy about. My Fiat 500 has one, and that that I've gotten used to it. But in 92, a digital gas gauge was something that you don't really see in too many cars. And um, it was reading about half or maybe uh, a third of the tank full, and it was giving me a range of anywhere between 200 miles when I started out and coming back was maybe around 150-mile range left in the tank. And about halfway back, it seemed like the uh, gas gauge or the range was just dropping all of a sudden. Like it went from like one one fifty, then all of a sudden it went to like one thirty, and then it went down to one ten. And I'm like, you know, do I have a leak or something here? What's going on? Yeah. And I'm just like, that's weird. So I was, my girlfriend was with me, and I was telling her, well, you know, I want to get gas before we, you know, 
when we get back to our house, I'll just buy gas there because according to this, even though it's dropping, I should have enough left. And when I got to maybe three or four miles from home, it bounced back up to like 120 or 130. So like, hmm, hmm. that's weird. I don't know how they, they, they do that with the digital. I don't know if it's tied in with the uh, one of the engine computers or somehow tied into the, like the float, yeah. uh, gas gauge float in the tank or whatever. And then it dropped down again. So I'm pulling into, down our street, you know, half, luckily only a block away from the house and the car starts bucking like it's gasping for fuel. Yeah. And my girlfriend's going, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm not doing anything. It's the car. I, I, I'm not goofing off. Yeah. So it would idle, but it wouldn't want to, you know, you put some gas on it. It just wouldn't go. So I figured, well, maybe it's out of gas or or too low. So I grabbed a, a gallon of gas from the, um, the shed in the backyard for the lawnmower and i dumped that in car started up and it was fine so it was it was low on gas yeah and um i guess my 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 uh takeaway from this is the fact that maybe if i have a quarter tank or less in that car now i should just be cognizant that i need gas because i can't trust the gauge well let me yeah let me give you a tip on that every time you put gas in it set your trip trip i do yeah yeah Yeah. because then this way uh i had a car like that and uh it it uh, i i you know the gauge was always accurate but i always questioned whether Mm -hmm. the gauge would be accurate so i just set my like b trip meter or something to uh, just be my fuel gauge. And if, if I saw it was at 240 miles, I said, you know, time for me to throw some gas in this thing. Yeah, it, it could be one of these things, too, that, I mean, the car has, I think, been driven driven relatively regularly, but it just might be working itself out to, I don't know, but I'm not going to take any chances because no. I'm not one of these 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 idiots that, you know, runs my, my fuel low and thinking like, oh, I can just still make it and stuff. I always have, want to have plenty of gas in my car. your girlfriend's going to hate it when you throw her sweater down <laughs> to get under the car. So, exactly. yeah, just make sure or you Or make her push the, the car, car home with me. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that ex-girlfriend you'll have will be, you know, a fond memory. But, yeah, just because you missed some gas. Go ahead. But one of the uh, – <laughs> but th- that is one of the things that, you know, like I told – like we were talking about in one of the previous episodes that, you know, we will give uh, trials and tribulations with our own personal vehicles. And since I just got the Corvette, I'll be uh, – keeping uh, the audience updated with the things that I do with it and my trials and tribulations. And so far, that's the only um, uh, hiccup that I've had so far. Other than that, the car seems to run great, and it was it was a good car to take out to the show. And I was impressed today when you pulled up to the uh, Car Guys warehouse. Today, Lou, you uh, have your beautiful blue Viper here today, and, you, and I asked you if you've had it out very much this year, and you said, no, because the weather's been so bad, and today it's finally nice, so I'm glad that you got yeah. it out for a little exercise. Yeah, feels good. Enough gas in it, too? Yeah, there's more than enough <laughs> gas in it. Somebody asked me the other day at the gas station, they said, how's your car on gas? I said, great, it loves it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. Yeah, what, what do you get in that, about 10 miles a gallon around uh, town? No, you don't actually get about uh, 12 if I'm being Lou, and I probably get uh, maybe 14, mm-hmm. 15 on the highway. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah the Aston is probably my uh, most thirsty car, and around town, that thing will do like 10, 10 miles a gallon, but I had it on the highway shortly after I bought it about four years ago, uh, drove down to uh, Indianapolis, and in sixth gear, running along about 80 miles an hour on the highway, it turned it turned in 18 and a half, that's which good. is pretty good yeah, for a V12, nice. yeah. So uh, even these high-performance cars, and that's another th- thing we could talk about in a future episode is, is uh, 
how surprising some of the gas mileage is in a good way on cars today that you wouldn't think they would necessarily be as efficient yeah. as they are. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, one thing we always try to talk about at the top of the show is just cars that we've seen on the roads. And obviously, Lou has a, you know, he saw every cool car at Carlisle this weekend. One car I did see, or truck, that I saw recently driving along. And you're seeing more and more of these out there because people are either restoring them or they're keeping them in clean, original condition. This was a 69 Suburban, and it's the classic uh, round uh, fender well uh, style all stock white top with the blue body and the, it just looked fantastic and it looked like it was a pretty pretty original vehicle too which is what i'm all about i love I, i'll take a a highly original car over a restored car most likely just because i just like the idea that someone cared enough about the vehicle to keep it in the kind of condition that you're seeing it you know in this case 50 years later um one thing too i wanted to touch on briefly and i'll call it the de- devotion to accuracy department in uh, one of our previous episodes we were commiserating back and forth on a couple of things and there's uh, four items i just wanted to clarify because i looked them up once we were off to uh get the accurate information we were wondering what the 911 t was we talked about a, a porsche 911 t that recently sold on bring a trailer and the 911 t at least in the early 70s it was actually the base model of the 911 it had carbs instead of fuel injection and it had the lowest horsepower rating so people you know we were talking was it turbo is it targa is it whatever so yeah 911t is the base model in the early 70s for the porsche 911 i was also talking um trying to convert uh, kilometers to miles per hour in my head when we were talking about uh, lane discipline on the autobahn and i had thrown out uh the number of 170 kilometers per hour and i said yeah that's like 130 miles an hour and i'm like my math was way off in my head 170 kilometers an hour is roughly 106 miles per hour so i just wanted to get that that clarified and two other items that we had talked about you had mentioned that you had uh taped a bmw 850i with the v12 and um 850ci yeah either no 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 it's it's the model was fine but we were just uh wondering if if that car ever came with a, a manual transmission because i said i think most of them were automatics but yes you could have gotten a six speed in that car six speed manual yeah. but it's rare um, I, I think the one i videoed had a six speed yeah so. that's very cool because that that that's a car that's uh seeing increased value and um with the six speed if you find one go for it because that's that's the one to get and then we were also talking about uh imperials in the mid 60s and uh i was talking about this option they had where the uh passenger seat would actually rotate 180 degrees to face the rear seat and had a fold-down table and lamps uh, plug-ins for a gooseneck lamp and it was designed for like ceo madmen kind of ad guys and having their secretary take dictation while they riding in the back with the with the chauffeur driving in front and that was called the mobile director edition mm-hmm. and it was on at least the 67 imperial i think they had that option for only a couple of years and they did not sell too many just uh Several hundred, I believe, was was about the total. But the mobile director was was the option for that car. And they actually had an ad. If you go uh, go to uh, YouTube, there's a, a video there that shows an ad they did for it. It's pretty cool. So yeah, I'll, def- I'll keep an eye out for one of those. Yeah, <laughs> definitely check that. Yeah, that's what you need. You're you're this hot shot now. You're just gonna ride around and back executive, and. <laughs> yeah. 
see how that goes. Joey, take dictation as he yeah, exactly. gives me the gym shoe. <laughs> exactly. You are listening to the uh, Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon along with uh, Lou Costable. Be sure to tell a friend about the Car Guys Report. It's available online at radiomisfits.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Car Guys Podcast. We'd also love to uh, get an email from you. Our email address, carguysreport at hotmail.com. Uh, last episode, we were talking about the automotive bucket list, and on uh, this episode, we covered uh, we covered half of it last uh, time, so we're going to cover the second half. This was a, a bucket list for uh, car guys that came out online a while back, and uh, great stuff to talk about. Continuing down the list, and this is something, uh, Lou, that you'll probably have to do at some point, uh, the Goodwood Festival of Speed, which mm. happens in England. Um, do you have any uh, ideas of ever making it across the pond to uh, check out uh, that event? You know, if the English have the funds, I'm always open to listening to uh, doing a guest appearance. That's for sure. Uh, another item on the uh, bucket list was attend a major race, which is something I have never done. I've been to the uh, Indy 500, just the track, uh, when it wasn't running, you know, the 500. Uh, and I've been to years and years and years ago, just like local stock car races, but I've never been to like a Daytona 500 or, a, you know, Le Mans or anything like that. Have you ever gone to a major race? I've been to the Indy 500 for the time trials because I have a few uh, vintage Indy cars on the channel, but mm-hmm. I've never sat around for the race. Actually, the time trials, it's my understanding, at least uh, 20 or 30 years ago, that, that seemed to be the thing to do instead of the race. Cause you get to see, uh, pretty much all the spectacle of it and it's not as crowded and things like that. Was that your, uh, yeah, I was in the, they have a vintage Indy section. So they had all the celebration of the older cars, the sixties, the seventies, the eighties and nineties. So I would be over there videoing some cars cause you can talk to the people who have them. And uh, the fun part is we started a few of them. So, cool. Uh, that takes a while. Mm-hmm. It's not as easy as, like, you know, starting your car here. Uh, that's almost like a 20-minute process. Mm-hmm. You have to do some editing and things like that. But it's interesting and fun. Cool. Uh, Drive America is another uh, list on the bucket, uh, uh, Car Guys bucket list, another item on that. And that's something I think that they always say that we should see, if you live in the U.S., that you should see the U.S. first before you travel because we have such a large country and there's just so many things to see. I love doing road trips. My girlfriend and I like doing road trips, whether they're short little jaunts of, you know, 100 miles or an extended road trip. The last big one we were on was about five years ago. We did a 3,000-mile wow. uh, East Coast trip, yeah, and went out to uh, Boston, Philadelphia, Maine, Vermont, New York, and that was a great, a great trip. And we also like to try to do as much as possible, um, not always the interstate traveling. Uh, I remember one time, this was over 10 years ago, we drove to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And of course, when we went out, uh, we didn't do Route 66, but we pretty much took the interstates out. But on the way back, we kind of traversed uh, Oklahoma and Kansas uh, with smaller routes uh kind of cutting diagonally through those states and you just see a lot more you just see more of the, the small towns and the and the uh the people that live there and just the local culture and it's a lot of fun yeah um do you have a, a any place that that's a, I, obviously you live you, you don't live in arizona but you have a a home out there do you get around that area at all uh driving at all or i did drive a car from illinois to arizona okay so um i saw uh that was interesting the travel as well i was uh traveling at the end of may 
and uh, I think it was actually end of April, beginning of May, and surprisingly in the panhandle of Texas, I caught a snowstorm wow. where the snow was going sideways, and I was uh, literally probably one of the scarier drives of my life. And I was, What were you driving? I was driving. It wasn't the smartest car to be driving. I was driving a, a Jaguar XKR a convertible. Oh, your jet! So, wow. So, 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 yeah, it was the wrong car to be driving uh, in the snow, and uh, I was literally following a truck right on his tail. Wow. While, while he was cutting through this through the snow, and to the right and the left of me were cars all off the road. We actually had to get stopped at one point by the by the state troopers mm-hmm. down there, and they said that's enough driving, and yeah. I ended up getting a, a, a motel or hotel for an evening. It was uh, nerve wracking, but obviously I made it through and did you have your summer tires on your no thankfully, <laughs> yeah, no, thankfully really just been bad. before yeah you know the, the one good thing that happened there was i just put new tires on it before okay. i drove down good there. so that was that was probably some saving grace yeah there. no kidding uh another uh, li- uh item on the list is uh own a fun weekend car and i think uh every car that we own between us is could be considered a weekend car but yeah. i would kind of think my fun weekend car just for for quirkiness would be my Saab 96 just because it's so unusual and it's it's not a fast car so it's one of these cars that you purposely don't want to get to any destination in a hurry and you can kind of just soak in the the fun and I would think your your fun weekend car to me would either be your Jag or your or your Viper I well, would think well the Viper for sure but but if I was doing your cars I would do your 58 Impala yeah that to me is a put your right arm out on the seat and just put your left hand on the steering wheel and enjoy exactly yeah and i have done that yeah. <laughs> it's a great a great uh a car for that um uh moving along on the list drive heroes um and i'm trying to exactly remember what they were meaning by that i think they mean um you have to have some kind of um uh like a uh automotive icon that you adore or something like that or maybe the cars they drive mm. um a little bit questionable i don't really have i mean i'm driving a saab 96 and not eric carlson the, the rally driver from saab in the 60s he wasn't really a hero of mine i did meet the man once about 35 years ago and he was jovial and nice and stuff so i'm driving the car that he used to drive which is pretty cool um but um I'm not into racing and, and, and that culture, really. I'm more into just the car culture in general, so maybe that's why I don't feel a strong connection to that item on the list. Uh, going to a foreign country and driving a right-hand drive car. Hmm. So when you go to England and go to the Goodwood Festival, yeah. you'll be doing that. I'll be on the wrong side of the road and, and wondering what that was. Speaking of that, this was pretty cool. Uh, the, the car show that I went to, one of the car shows I went to this past weekend... There was a, uh, it was along Route 66, so uh, Route 66, uh, just so people know that it starts in Chicago and goes all the way to uh, Santa Monica, uh, California, and you can follow, there's, I mean, there's a million books out there, and you can follow uh, very, very closely the original alignment uh, as much as possible all the way. It's like, I I don't know how many thousands of miles, 2,500 or something like that, and a lot of uh, Europeans uh, come over and uh, do the route either on a Harley or by car. And there was a couple that uh, stopped by the car show from France, and they were not only driving uh, Route 66 this summer, but they had actually shipped over their 1975 Volkswagen bus. And it was, it looked pretty much like, uh, you know, a U.S. edition. It didn't have, you know, the kilometer 
per hour speedometer on it and stuff, but they had it outfitted. It was not a full on Westphalia camper, but they had a lot of the camping stuff in it. They had the, the, the sink and the stove and they had the, uh, uh, kind of, it looked like it was going to be a kind of a pop-up top, but then they had solar panels on top of that. So they oh, could really? charge all their devices and they had some kind of funky shower attachment on the back and everything it was really cool. Wow. These people are thinking and, through but, the process. Yeah. I mean, it, you got to be dedicated to ship your own vehicle from France all the way here just to drive Route 66. Yeah. But it's, I, I, it was very cool and people just totally dug what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, attending a major auto show, of course, while we, uh, being close to Chicago, uh, the Chicago Auto Show, one of the granddaddies of them all. Of course, the Detroit Show is a big one. Uh, then there's the the ones, the Frankfurt Auto Show in in Europe. Um, we've I've I've been to the Chicago Auto Show, and it's a spectacle. But I don't have to go every year, um, mainly because it's basically all new cars. They don't really have too much in the way of of antiques. But a lot of people like seeing the. Um, uh, concept cars and i don't know if they're doing concept cars as, as heavily as they used to it seems like that was all the rage maybe when i was more of a kid it seems like they would have fancier um type of uh of concept cars but other auto shows too i mean you do like we were talking early on in the series uh you were doing uh the shows the the, the muscle what are they called the muscle car nationals or muscle car and corvette nationals yeah. that's at uh, the weekend before thanksgiving usually at the rosemont convention center in uh chicago yeah and it's right next to o'hare i highly recommend that show it is the best muscle car show on the planet mm-hmm. and needless to say our friends over at carlisle um you know three three thousand one hundred fifty cars and Hershey's a big show every year, too. Which is about 30 miles from yeah, there, maybe. Yeah, very close. So they're pretty close to each other. I haven't been to Hershey. I'd love to be there. Uh, the other one that's, uh, you know, I hear that I'd love to be there sometime is the Woodward Dream Cruise, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know, it sounds like it's a week-long event. And obviously, uh, I haven't been to these, but uh, as my subscriber base grows, I'm sure that I'll get there, too, is the, uh, um, you know, Amelia Island and... Uh, uh, out in uh, Pebble Beach. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Woodward's supposed to be just the dream cruise. You just cruise down Woodward Avenue for like 10 or 15 miles. It's like bumper to bumper cars, but it's just so cool. Yeah, that sounds like a blast. Yeah, it does. That it sounds, sounds like my kind of show. Exactly. Um, here's something that I probably guarantee you haven't done on the list, and actually, surprises of surprises, I have done. Okay. Drive on a frozen lake. No. Ice I racing, yes. Yeah, no, I have, I'm going to pass. I have done that. Vipers won't do well on frozen lakes. I, I've done that. I did it with the Saab <laughs> Club uh, years ago, and I actually made a video back in 1987. I brought the camcorder along, really? and I was videotaping inside uh, one of the cars. But I had my Saab up there at the time. We did it up in Wisconsin. Um, I mean, it wasn't any, like, a sanctioned event, but it was you know, uh, different, a couple of different locations. There was only one time a car actually fell through the ice. It was an Alfa Romeo GTV, um, with the V six in it. And it like the back end kind of went in cause it, we, we, we really should not have been out on the ice on that day. Cause it was where it was a warmer day <laughs> and the ice starts getting kind of like, uh, gravelly or what do they call it but uh that was the only the other the other lake that we would always race on did the car actually go down the the rear ended yeah the whole kind of like and back half of it they, it, it wasn't it very deep before. of that because i and this is this is 100 percent true the guy that owned the car the the water wasn't that deep right there because it was pretty close to the shore he was actually in the water up to his like shoulders yeah you know hold trying to hold the car up so they could 
tow it off, you know, to get it out of the hole because it, it started to, to crack from the back. So the back end started sinking <laughs> in. But it, Save but, the car. Don't exa- worry about my exa- life. Exactly. But the the other lake that we would uh, race on, I mean, the, the, the ice was probably three or four feet thick. And, you know, you'd hear it crack every now and then, but that doesn't mean anything. You know, if you ever watched Ice Road Truckers on, on uh, D- uh, Discovery Channel, I think it is, or History Channel, uh, you'll know what they can do and can't do on the ice but it's it was fun i had a good time doing that and it was it was an interesting experience and you're here to tell the story and i'm here too. to tell the story and i never had a car go down so that's good that is good uh two more items on the uh, car guys bucket list uh drive a kai japanese car which are the uh, micro cars like the honda beat we see them every now and then uh, at a car show. Just the micro cars. I mean, they're tiny. They have yeah, like you Messer know, Schmitz or something. well, yeah. But these are the Japanese ones. So they're you know they're they're and they still make them. I mean, people like the Honda Beats because um, they're just tiny. I mean, they're literally like you know probably five feet wide, if that. And they have little you know basically motorcycle engines and little five or six hundred cc <laughs> engines. And people just think they're cool. And I, I know there's one that you'll see on Bring a, Bring a Trailer every now and then, uh, a Nissan Figaro. And it almost looks like a, a cartoon car because it's really rounded and it kind of comes in pastel colors and it just looks like a toy. And people love them. And you can, you know, as long as it's 25 years or older, which some of these are now, you can bring them in, no problem. So uh, mm. they're, they're showing up here and there. And the final item on the Car Guys bucket list was uh, and this is something again I can't get real excited about although I have friends that that embrace this more than I do drive a pre-war car it would be pre-world war 2 so that could be anything from an auburn or a cord or a duesenberg to anything like a model t a model a or any uh any number of weird makes that what's, didn't survive what's the very long car you've driven boy you know probably my Probably the 58 Impala. I don't think I've ever gone much before that. I, I No, my 51 Chevy pickup that I don't own any longer. That would be the earliest car that I've driven. So it's still basically a modern car. It doesn't have spark advance on the steering wheel or a crank or anything like yeah. that. How about you? What uh, have you? 41 Cadillac. Okay. Well, that's a, oh, that's a beautiful car. Yeah. That is awesome. Terrible. Well, I mean, awesome car, wonderful straight line cruiser. As soon as you, you know, it has wheels about the size range it feels like of a bicycle so when you turn it you know yeah 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 they're <laughs> screaming at you but you know other than that it was uh uh great in a straight line nice easy perpetual stop um wonderful yeah i, I do think that we we owe a debt of gratitude though and respect to a lot of the very early drivers of cars back in the uh the aughts and the teens and even into the 20s because well, well, when now i want to drive one of those cars well, now that you when you look at about it but when you look at nothing was standardized then because right. half the time the accelerator pedal was in the middle yeah and the brake would be on the left and the clutch would be on the right right you'd, or you'd have the accelerator on the on the uh, steering column along with the spark advance and it, just like the the coordinate that you'd have to do just to go down the road. It's like nobody could do that these days. Well, this, well, actually, this Wednesday, coming up on the channel, will be, I think it's a 1928 Bentley race car. So I'm going to be videoing that, and uh, it's a real Bentley race car. Cool. So I'll be not only enjoying the design of the car, but I will be asking the driver for an education 
uh, for the audience to awesome. As well. That's good. Yeah. That's good, and that fits right into the uh, the last item on the automotive bucket list. Another item uh, that we like to cover on uh, pretty much every episode of the Car Guys Report is uh, interesting cars that uh, have shown up either for sale at uh, private sales auctions or cars that we consider to be well bought, or just cars that are for sale that are just cool. And this is another listing that comes from Hemmings. And they always have some incredibly cool stuff. A lot of the big uh, heavy hitter auction houses like RM Sotheby's uh, advertises their auctions on Hemming. So that's where you see a lot of this crazy stuff. And this one, Alou, we would file under rare. It was a 1955 Pegaso Z102. And no, that's not a radio station. <laughs> but uh, Pegaso, I brought my big book that we were talking about before we went on, on the air here. Uh, I have a, a book. I hope it's still in uh, print because uh, I got this pretty much right when it came out. It's a standard catalog of imported cars by James M. Flamang, F-L-A-M-M-A-N-G. You could uh, check that on Google or on, uh, on Google or at Amazon. Uh, the standard catalog of imported cars, 1946 to 1990, pretty much any car that was ever imported into the United States, and it's just a gigantic compendium. It's, uh, how many pages here? Over Almost 700 pages, and it covers every mark, and it gives uh, production figures, uh, technical details, a little bit of history about the car or the mark, and it's just a great reference, and they actually have a section on the Pegaso, and I just wanted to touch on that real quickly. Pegaso is actually a Spanish company that uh, kind of wanted to compete with the likes of uh, maybe Ferrari in the early days because in 1951 they debuted a car powered by a four-cam V8 engine, which is right up the alley of uh, cars like uh, Ferrari. And then they brought out some other ones uh, that would kind of uh, compete maybe with more like Alfa Romeos. But very low production. We're talking, uh, and this is uh, amazing, the company produced cars between uh, 1951 to 1958, and they only made between 100 and 125 total cars during an eight-year period, seven-year period. And um, the one that was for sale at uh, or advertised at Hemmings was a 1955 Pegaso Z102 Berlinetta Series 2, and it's one of 10 that were made. And it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous car. Of course, this is uh, located in um, Como, Italy, and the auction uh, recently took place. I don't know what it actually ended up selling for, but just a a gorgeous car and a very uh, car that was ahead of its time, too. The greatest engineering marvel of the uh, Z102 was the all-alloy V8 engine, arguably the most advanced road car engine ever produced at the time. It had 32 valves actuated through four uh, gear-driven cams, all lubricated by a dry sump system with only two outsourced components being Weber carburetors and a Bosch Magneto. And it's just a, just a gorgeous, gorgeous car. And if you ever get a chance to <laughs> videotape a Pegaso, and that's P-E-G-A-S-O, not Picasso, but Pegaso, uh, definitely um, a car to, uh, that you just don't see for sale very often. So when, that, when I noticed that on Hemmings, I knew I had to uh, let everyone know about it right here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. If you like what uh, me and Lou are doing here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, then make sure to check out some of the other great podcasts that are available on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. You can check out Free Kicks 
It's an OPI show. Rick Kempfer and Adam Holworth, the director of the coaching for the Illinois Youth Soccer Association. Uh, Rick and Adam discuss all the latest international, national, and local soccer news only on the Radio Misfits podcast network. You can check it out at radiomisfits.com. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable, and uh, I wanted to uh, talk about a car that uh, I think deserves a better reputation, and it's uh, something that a lot of people kind of laugh at because it had a funny name and a funny look. Uh, Lou, of course, you remember the uh, Renault Le Car that uh, made an appearance in the U.S. in the late 70s and early 80s. Sadly, I do remember that. And you have the same smirk on your face that most people do. (laughs) I owned a Le Car. Sorry. My my good friend who was a Saab guy was also into quirky French cars. He owned any number of uh, Renaults over the years. And he had actually three Le Cars. What year was yours? It was an 83. Okay. It was dark metallic blue with uh, a blue cloth interior. And one interesting side note to this, uh, to this car was my friend had three of them, and he, he wanted to, to get rid of one of them, so that was the one that I bought. But he basically wanted to give it to me, and I just said, let's make it legal. I'll pay you a dollar. So I paid a buck for that car. Then I sold that, it. That was the right price. And I sold it back to him uh, several years later for a dollar. And no, Lou, these cars were good. <laughs> they really were. We're going to have our debate. They made, they made more than five and a half million of these cars. It was the best-selling car in France from 1972 through 1986. And from 76 to 83, it was sold by AMC dealers here in the U.S. It was called a Renault 5 over there. When they brought it over here, they wanted to give it a sexy, quirky little name, so they called it Le Car. And there's that one episode of uh, Seinfeld when George um, uh, Costanza mentions that he used to have a, a Le Car, and they'd make fun of him going, Le George, Le George. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's how much it's ingrained in our American culture here. But the car had a one point, at least the one that I had, it had a 1.4 liter uh, inline four uh, liquid cooled. It had the uh, it had the spare tire under the hood for um, space saving inside the car. But the car was actually there, there was a couple of very unique items about it. It had three bolt lugs lugs on the wheels, so there's only three lug nuts holding each wheel. And although there were only 14 inch tires, I think, or 13s. Um, the it had torsion bar suspension, and I don't know, Lou, if you're that familiar with French cars. The trademark of most French vehicles are their ride, and one writer of the back in the day referred to the ride of the uh, Renault Le Car as having a pillowy suppleness to it. And for a little tiny car with a short wheelbase, I would have to agree because this car just rode amazing. For a little car it was the torsion bars and and actually the passenger side wheelbase was like a half inch longer than the driver's side wheelbase and it was because of the way they had to do the suspension with the torsion bars but just quirky little things like that but the car i didn't drive that much but it never let me down and it's just one of these cars i you know i changed the oil on it once a year and i really didn't do anything else to it and i i wasn't abusive to it but i wasn't kind to it and like i said it just kept going and it it was a nice car it really was and i think the reason why a lot of these makes like renault peugeot citroen 
uh, Citroën, however we want to pronounce it, uh, mainly the French makes, they never had a good service network and dealer network here in the U.S. It's not like you could go right down the corner where there's a Ford and a Chevy dealer on every corner and get your car serviced. And I think that was really a a, a big factor in the uh, car not getting the, the respect that it deserves because people probably had trouble with it. They couldn't get good service on it. Then they go, oh, what a piece of crap that was, and they'd sell it. So that's I just think that it deserves a better um, – rap than it does now you've got that smirk on your face do you, do you have a, a late car story that you could uh, tell us about or something like that or well for anyone who didn't grow up in that time frame the le car in the 80s was similar to when you'd see a smart car on the road today and every time i see a smart car i always think you don't have to tell somebody it's smart they should just know it so mm-hmm. it always is like counterbalancing my smart car feel well, if it's a car, you don't have to tell somebody it's le car, all right? We should just know it's a car. So <laughs> my point to that car was uh, I did uh, date a young lady in that time frame who had one of those, and I actually uh, very rarely wanted to get in it without driving my car instead. Uh, it, it just, you know, it was just had a bad reputation at the time, and um I, I was not a Le, Le Car fan. So. And mine also had, I, I don't know if they all had this, but I think most of them did. It had the big fabric sunroof that you could <laughs> yeah. extend all the way back to the rear seats. I mean, just cool stuff. I liked it. I really did. I, I, he sh- if people were watching us, Mark shaking his head up and down, yes, and I'm shaking my head <laughs> left or right, no. So. No, no, not the sunroof. And obviously the, uh, the Renault uh, Le Car was a simple car. And uh, believe it or not, uh, U.S. News and World Report came out with a list of cars that are the least complicated new cars you can buy in 2019. And we had that uh, that uh, email from uh, from uh, Ron earlier in the uh, one of the earlier shows lamenting the fact that his car had power windows and he had trouble adjusting the the window to the right opening and he he was wishing for manual windows and yes you can still buy cars that have either um uh manual windows or other things like that and this is a, a list i don't have a comprehensive list of which uh uh features these have uh have or don't have on them but the Kia Rio LX uh these are all cars that probably retail for about 15 Definitely under twenty grand, but probably around in the fifteen, sixteen thousand dollar range. Because I don't think you can buy a new car anymore for less than pretty much fifteen grand. Uh, the Ford F one fifty XL, which is a, a pickup truck, but is, since that's like the base model for that, you can get uh, has manual roll up windows on that. Mm. The Honda Fit LX, the uh, Nissan Frontier S, which is a pickup truck, you can still get a five speed manual in that. Uh, the Mazda Miata Sport, obviously, you get a you get a man, uh, manual transmission in that. The Nissan Versa S, which is the entry level Nissan, has manual windows. The Jeep Wrangler Sport, that's probably you can take the doors off on that, so <laughs> I'm sure that has manual windows on it too. The Toyota 4Runner SR5 uh, is a pretty basic car uh, these days. The Ford Focus S, the Dodge Grand Caravan SE. And the Chevy Spark LS, which is, I think, the lowest uh, entry-level Chevy you can buy because I know they have the Sonic, too, but I think the Spark is even below the Sonic, and that still has crank windows on it as well. So there are cars out there that you can still get manual windows and things like that on there if you look hard enough. And, you know, some people like it because even when I bought my 
Fiat 500 uh, seven years ago, I bought the absolute base model, and it still had power windows, power locks, air conditioning, power heated mirrors. Uh, I mean, it's just like you couldn't get it any other way. And obviously, you would think that it would be cheaper for the manufacturer to make it just in one flavor as far as all those accessories are concerned because it saves them money when they're building cars. But um, apparently, they um, a lot of these other cars, a lot of the cars I just mentioned, obviously, are sold in other markets, too, across the world. So and they probably want things like manual windows and things. But it's good to know that you can still get cars with some of the things that people like Lou and I grew up with, manual windows. We never had any of the cars we had when I was a kid, we didn't have any of that stuff. We didn't have air conditioning. We didn't have, have power windows, power locks, none of that stuff. So it was a kind of a big thing when I finally got a car with power windows on it. If you like the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, make sure you uh, subscribe to us via whatever platform you like, whether it's uh, iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn when you uh subscribe you'll get a, a notification that automatically shows up on your device whether it is a, a phone a tablet whatever to let you know that there is a new content from radio misfits and the uh, car guys reports just search for radio misfits on the platforms i just mentioned and enjoy listening to the car guys report informed automotive we talked at the top of the show lou about uh, some of the cars that you just uh, videoed at uh, carlisle maybe you can either expand on some of the stuff that you did there that'll be showing up on your channel or some of the uh, other neat stuff that uh, i'm sure you've been uh, videotaping for my car story with lou I'll do um, a couple around the horn, so to speak. Uh, different years, different cars. Um, one of the cars that was a little bit surprising, and it's the first one I had on the channel, was I had a 1964 Corvair Monza Spider, and uh, I believe it's the uh, Monza that means it has the turbo. So uh, it was nice to have kind of the high end of mm -hmm. that, and it did really well on the channel. So it was those are uh, cool cars. Yeah, so it was more surprising than I thought. You'd think '64, maybe people want to see Corvettes or something like that, or Impala SSs. Um, speaking of that same time frame, I did do a '64 Chevrolet Biscayne two door in red with a 409 in it. Mm -hmm. So that was just a straight up drag car. So that that did well on the channel too. Switching gears a little bit. I did a uh, 1960 Chrysler 300F, um, a friend of mine, Noel's car, and that's doing well. We did not only the car, but then we did, took a little ride and uh, showed a little of that footage as well. And uh, he jumped on it, so we got a little 413 cross-ram <laughs> sound in that one. And uh, a 1973 Porsche 911S Coupe. Awesome. In uh, Glacier Blue. So really cool color back in the early 70s for that car and uh again we um uh, my son's favorite car over at the uh, carlisle show was the uh, 2018 ford gt that uh, we featured on that one which is a uh, special silver color on that one that's already on the channel too did you uh, hear that car run at all yes how does that v6 sound in that because that's the only thing that really depressed me is when it you know i knew it was coming out that they were putting a v6 but i mean everyone's doing high super high output twin turbo v6s these days i mean how did it sound sounded just like a v8 really i mean if you closed your eyes and i told you what is this you'd say i don't know it's a corvette or you'd think it's a you know big block 
you know, Ford or something yeah. like that. Yeah. It does not sound like a V6. Cool. So, yeah. That That's was, good to know. I'm sure they spent a lot of time tuning it. Uh, with the exhaust and everything to make sure it's not going to sound like a V6. Because that's, that's the thing that I just don't like about V6s is, is when you just have like a run-of-the-mill V6, like in a minivan or something, it just has this wheezy sound to it. And I know you can tune them to sound much better, and obviously that's what they did. Well, let's talk about that for just a second. So it's not only a V6, it's the EcoBoost V6, mm-hmm. which is usually the same thing you can have a four-cylinder connected to. But when you think of the fact that I think this thing, uh, someone can tell me if I'm a little bit off, and that's fine if I am. But I think the thing has like 600 horsepower, yeah, it's a 650 lot. Yeah. horsepower out of a six-cylinder. I know. It's 100 horsepower per, per cylinder. Yeah. I mean, so it's really... Uh, the level of technology that, that can be brought out today is just amazing. Yeah, it is. It, it is fascinating. That'll be another topic uh, for a future show, I'm sure, because there is so much amazing. You know, we're living in the golden age of horsepower. And speaking of that, coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, how about this, Lou? A 1,000 horsepower crate engine. <laughs> That's amazing. The UPS guy comes to your door. I got your 1,000 horsepower crate engine here. Where should I put it? So uh, talk about the golden age of horsepower. Plus, this is something that will be close to Lou's heart because he's got a convertible. How to stay dry in the rain with the top down. We'll be uh, talking about that and much more on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for uh, joining us for this episode. I'm Mark Vernon along with uh, Lou Costable, and we would like to say special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with OpiShows.com. If you ever wondered, Opie is hippo, spelled backwards, O-P-P-I-H Shows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha, and it's all heard on the Radio Mission. Misfits Podcast Network. Check it out at radiomisfits.com. The proceeding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? Hey, coming soon to the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and friends starring me, Tommy. And me, Kimmy. And me, Sam. Come meet your new best friends. <laughs> hey, if you want to listen to our show, this is what it sounds like exactly. It's all about those conversations you can only have with your true friends. So come meet your new friends, Tommy. Kimmy. Sam. Right here with and friends. Me want you as friends. Radiomisfits.com. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, you heard of an elephant, but how about a elephant? Plus driving with the top down in the rain. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Hostable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs>